We're going to look at the last part of Exodus chapter 4. Go to verse number 29 and verse 29 through 31. We're looking at Exodus chapter 4 today, and there's many things in this chapter, but it's very interesting, these these verses. In, In 29 it says, And Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel, and Aaron spake all the words which the Lord had spoken unto Moses. And did the signs in the sight of the people, and the people believed, and when they had heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel, and that he had looked upon their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. You know, when you read these three verses, you just think everything is going great for Moses. But I want to ask you this, what did God have to do to get him to this point? God's, we are a work of art, aren't we? And we've got to realize that God has to mold us in what we need to be. When we read these verses, it sounds great. We're going to read them again in just a little bit. But I just want to talk to you about what it takes to get where you're you're at right now. Amen. I want to talk to you about something that we talked about this morning. We talked about excuses. We're pretty good with excuses, aren't we? I mean, I, I remember growing up, I could make an excuse over anything. I probably still can. But you know what God wants us to do? He doesn't want us to have, He doesn't want our excuses anymore. This morning we talked about excuses that the story in, the, in um, this morning about the three that were given talents, what the last one do? He just offered excuses. I know thou art a hard man and you've done this and done that. And, and what did, what did Jesus' thought process back to him? He said, listen, you knew who I was. You knew what you needed to do, but you didn't do it. But then we get into Exodus chapter 4 and it's the Old Testament and you still hear excuses. Moses is full of excuses. In fact, if you go to Exodus chapter 3, you think, oh man, he's going on a good side. He's answered all the questions. He's, he's talked to God that I am that I am. And, and then he, he talks about um, how they're, they're going to get out. God tells them in, in Exodus chapter 3 verses 19 through 22 what they're going to do, how they're going to do it. And then comes Exodus chapter 4. And what happens is There's excuses. We can sit all we want and give the excuses to people for why we're not doing what God wants us to do, but God doesn't buy it. He doesn't buy it. He knows us. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your strengths. And here in Exodus chapter 4, you see something that's going on. As I wrote some of these questions out, has God ever told you to do something? I mean, has God ever told you, hey, you need to go do this, and you didn't go do it? Well, let me ask you this. Did you go instantly and do it? Because a lot of stories in the Bible, I like it when they go instantly. It's amazing to me that Peter and, Peter and um, Andrew are out fishing, and Jesus just says a few words to them, and they drop everything, including all their personal aspirations of what they were going to do in their life. Just by a man walking up and saying, hey, I'll make you fishers of men. And that was not, they were not the only two that did that. That happened on numerous occasions. Jesus would say something and people would do it. But we, we sometimes want excuses in our life and we think we can do it. Did you do it instantly? Did you delay when God to, told you to do it? How about this? Did you, ever do what God, did you ever do what God originally asked you to do? There's times when God asks you to do it, it's time sensitive. There's times when you know, hey, God wants me to go talk to these people. God wants me to go witness to my neighbor. God wants me to ask the neighbor to go to church. God wants me to do something, make make a meal for my neighbor, mow the grass for my neighbor, do something for my neighbor. And you know it's an instant thing that you're supposed to do. And sometimes we back off and say, hey, I I, I, no, I can't do that. 
Why is it sometimes we do that? Why do we make excuses for who we are? Moses was one of the best leaders in the, in the Old Testament. He commanded more people under his leadership than anybody else. I mean, you have David who was a king of a country, I understand that, but I'm talking about people that were not really united, and he brings them, and he unites them for a short time. Then what happens? They start making excuses. They follow their leaders at role and they start making excuses. Well, you know, I wish we'd go back. And I always think that's funny when they say they wanted to go back to Egypt because they wanted to go back to the leeks and the onions. That doesn't sound like a very good reason to go back. Leeks and onions and garlic, and they talk about all this. But, you know, they don't want the stuff that God gave them. And they don't even see some of the things He's done. I mean, just think about the miracles they saw every day. Every day they would wake up in the wilderness and what would they find? Manna. They'd find something that would sustain their life. I think it's interesting that it says that their shoes did not wear out. We have shoes. How many of you have more than four pair of shoes? How many of you have, watch this, how many of you have shoes that you know should be thrown away? I do. But I just keep holding on to them because sentimental value. And I could, have you ever said this? I can use these later. Do you ever use them later? You know, we, we look at all the things that God did for them, and yet we make excuses. Let's go back to what it says in Exodus chapter 4 and go to verse number 29 through 31. Let's read it one more time. It says this, it says, and he's talking, and Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. Pulls all the things like Jesus, like, like God had told him to. And then verse number 30, And Aaron spake all the words which the Lord had spoken unto Moses. And here in this portion of Scripture we'll see that Moses says, Hey, I can't speak. And God says, Well, I've got someone that can speak for you. It's planned this out. And then it says, And did the signs of the sight of the people. He does all the things that God tells him to do. And he says, Listen, all these people are going to believe in you if you do this. And he does it. Then you look at verse number 31. And the people what? Believe. See, God knows what He's going, and like we talked about this morning, God has a plan for our life. And He had a plan for Moses, and Moses' plan was not very easy. Sometimes I talk about how tough Noah's plan was. Moses' was just as difficult, just a different situation. Although Moses had, did not have to build an ark, Moses had to get people to understand that God was still God and God was going to take care of them. And, and bring them into the wilderness. Not only with them, but their children, their animals. They did all these. They brought their, their possessions. And then he was going to go. Now, I don't know if you, if you even think about this, but you pull one million people and you pull them out. You go to the Red Sea. You can't go across. We're going to go forward. He, he, he walks across on dry land. And on the other side, guess what? They made it. But what did they make it to? I instantly think of this. They had to set up the first KOA campground. Over a million people setting up tents. Can you imagine the hardships they had? And Moses had to keep them all together. And it was a fight. Through this, through this battle with Moses, guess what? We get the Ten Commandments. Because the people wanted that. And even when he goes and does the Ten Commandments, we'll look at this. He comes down and these people are already messed up again. He has to fix them again. It's a battle, constant battle, and there's valleys that he has to go through. But my question to you this is this. 
How did you get where you're at today? How did you get? Because we read verses 29 through 31, and we think, man, everything's going good. The people believed, and when they had heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel, and that he had looked upon their affliction, then they bowed their heads, and what's the last word in this verse? Worshipped. Little do they know that God's told Moses something very vital that he's not shared with the people, and it's this, that I'm going to go tell Pharaoh what's going to happen, and Pharaoh's heart is going to say no. But they're all excited, and they're worshiping, and everything seems to be going well. But that's not how he got there. How did he get there? Well, let's look at the Scriptures and see what it says. Many things happen in this chapter, but I want to point out a few to you. Sometimes we think everything is just okay. My dad used to say, A-okay. I never understood that, but are you A-okay? Yeah, I'm A-okay. I don't know what that means, but yes, I am. How did Moses get to Exodus chapter 4, verses 29 through 31? He had so much support in these verses, but how did he get there? You know, if I think, if, if we were to schedule Moses' life and we were to say, okay, here he is before he gets to, he's in Exodus chapter 3, and to get to the end of Exodus chapter 4, all he had to do was come over here, and he gets there. Life is a matter of decisions that you have to make, and, 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 and things you have to decide, and all these. And So he only had to go from here to here. And Moses could have done that, and God could have done it that way, but in this chapter, he doesn't go from here to there, he goes this way. And he goes down a little bit, and he has to figure out where he's at, and finally, when we read that chapter, he's back over here. Do you ever think sometimes your life just goes in ups and downs? Just go, man, I got this handle, got that handle, how am I going to handle this next thing? But you know what, well, can I tell you this? We need those valleys. Because those valleys show us that God cares. Now, I, I don't get, I, I, maybe you're different than me, but when I get in a valley, I'm not like, wow, I'm in a valley. Praise God, I'm in a valley. You know what I spend most of my time doing, Ray? Trying to get out of that valley. But in those valleys, guess what? We learn some stuff. That's why when you read the 23rd Psalm, Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I want to tell you something. My dad's rod did not comfort me at all growing up. It comforts me now, but it didn't comfort me there. But we've got to go through this valley of the shadow of death. And as I've said before in this, the psalmist, David, writes that. And he writes that because we have to sometimes get from a plateau to another plateau. And to get from plateau to plateau, you have to go down in a valley to get there. The problem with the valley is there's predators for the sheep. And the shepherd has to watch them. Then it says, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. It's an interesting thing that, 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 that David says also with the sheep. See, if, you've not, if you know anything about sheep, there's some different animals and some different um, plants. If they eat, it will kill them. And a good shepherd will go up on a what they call a table, a flatland, and he'll go through and he'll prepare it for the sheep. And what he'll do is he'll pull the bad things out of that area. And so he has to get the sheep from over here to over here. He has to go through the valley. He has to prepare the table. He prepares the table and the sheep come up here. And when he gets up here, we're thinking, thank God I'm here. But to get here, he had to go down to get up. That's what our life is. 
Our life is ups and downs. Satan knows how to discourage you. He knows how to discourage me. He knows how to discourage all of us. I can be riding way up here and then all of a sudden someone say something to me, it's like, poof, plummet. Because that's how he works. He knows how to discourage you. You think he wants you riding high on the air on that? No, Satan wants to discourage you all the time. He is like a what? A roaring lion, what? Seeking whom he may devour. And sometimes when we're up here, we're the most vulnerable we've ever been. Because when we're in the valley, guess what? We're really praying about stuff. We get on the top of the plateau, hey, we're okay. Almost like we've arrived. And that's not what God wants us to do. He wants to teach us. Sometimes He teaches us the most when we're in the valley. He had so much support in verses 29 through 31. Everything was going the right way. But how did He get there? How did you, you get where you're at? The second question, the last question is this. Did you ever have issues in your life you had to let God get a hold of and change? Two things with this and we'll be done. The first one is God has a plan for your life. How many of you believe that? Okay, I'm waiting to see. I believe God has a plan for my life. And God has a plan for your life. Now how do we get to that plan? Secondly with that, not only does He have a plan, we just need to walk through that plan. I am, and you hear Baptist preachers say this, I am in the safest place when I'm in the center of God's will. No matter what's going around me. There's been times Ann and I have went through things and I think you felt the same way. We think, how in the world are we going to get through this? And it's, everything's a fog around you. And you don't know what's going to happen. And, and, but yet you know you have Christ and you know that He's going to protect you. And for some reason you just feel safe in the midst of a storm. When everybody else is going and people are coming at you, I know why Satan did what he did with Job. There are four people he did not take out of Job's life. Who were they? His three friends and his wife. And you know what those three friends and his wife did to him? They just discouraged him. See, Satan could have taken them out. Because if you go back and read it again, what does God say? You can do anything, but don't take his life. Hmm. Satan knows what's going on. He knows the, the game with this in your life. If you look at your life as a game, he knows how to play the game with you. He knows how to discourage you. He knows how to get you down. And yet, sometimes we don't really realize that God had already had a plan. And number two, we just need to walk through that plan. Let's, let's look at some of these really quick. Go to Exodus chapter 4 and verses 1. Now, he's went all the way through this, what's going to happen. He's talked to God and... No one's talked to God like he talked to God. Before that, other than Adam and Eve, and he talks to God in verse number 14. But you look in verse number 14 chapter 3, but verse number 4 comes, chapter 4 comes along, and you see something that's very interesting. It says, And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me. You know what Moses had against him? His past. He was, he was thinking this whole thing through. Look, listen, he's in the wilderness. He's not seen them for many years. He probably recalls in his mind like we do all the things that we've done wrong and he probably played this situation out very time and time again of this man that he killed and about these two men that come up and say something to him. 
So he says, listen, they're not going to believe me. Who am I? I'm in exile. I'm trying to run away from everything so no one would know where I was at. I did not want to die. I lived in the palace and I was chased by the palace. And so he says in verse number one, he says, listen, they're not going to believe me nor hearken unto my voice. They're not going to listen to anything that I say. For they will say, the Lord hath not appeared unto thee. Now, you know what? You would think being up here and seeing everything that God had done for him, that he would say, hey, I can conquer the world. He is talking to God himself and says, listen, they're not going to believe me. See, he's not going on God's plan. He's going on his own thought process. And when you go on your own thought process, it's always weaker than God's plan. And so here you, you've got this situation where he doesn't know what... Now watch verse number 2. And let me show you God's plan in this. I love verse number 2. Moses does not know it, but he's holding something in his hand that God's going to use. He already had a plan. Look at verse number 2. He says, And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? Now, let's talk theologically with this. Did God not see what was in Moses' hand? Absolutely he knew what was in Moses' hand. I just love that question. Because Moses is saying, they won't listen to me. And I can almost see him banging, banging this rod on the ground. They won't listen to me. They won't listen to me. They won't believe anything that I say. They won't believe that I talk to you. And God says, what do you have in your hand? And what does he say? A rod. I don't know if you've ever done this before. Remember you had a rod in your hand and God says, throw it down. It turns into a snake. First of all, if that happened, I would not be in this church building. I do not like snakes. I was visiting with somebody that visited our church and they asked me what kind of church we were and I kind of told them what kind of church. It's funny how they said, they said, are you one of those Baptists that bring snakes? I was like, no, I, I, I don't like snakes. That's a foolish person that holds a snake to show that they're, they're it, it might show that they've got some faith but it also shows their stupidity also, amen? God never said you got to hold a snake to be, be spiritual. And so here you got, you got this guy, he, he throws it down, and he throws the rod down then all of a sudden it turns into the serpent. And I love how God does this. Even in God's wisdom, He protects Moses. I know something and you know something and Moses knows something. What is the most dangerous part of the snake? Its head. I think God knew exactly what Moses could handle. And He tells Moses, He says, pick up the snake by the what? I'd be going, no, I'll just go get me another rod. I don't like snakes. But here he says this, he says verse number three, and he said, cast it on the ground, and he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. <laughs> and this is me. And Walter fled from before it. I'd been, I'd been running. And that says this, and the Lord said unto Moses, put forth thine hand and take it, take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. And I guarantee you, he's not going to drop that rod again. He doesn't like snakes. He fled from them. He grabs it, and all of a sudden it turns back into it. Now watch this. Watch what God says to him. In verse number 5, he says something very interesting. He says that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. It's interesting with this is God wanted Moses to understand that his hand was going to be used and it was used as this rod was cast down and pulled back up. Now he's not done with the hand because look at the next verse. 
he's still trying to, he's still trying to convince Moses what's going on because in verse number 6 it says, And the Lord said, Furthermore unto him, and this is an interesting part of this story too because God knows what he needs. Have you ever said, I'll do this if this happens, then it happens, and you say, okay, if this happens, I'll do this, and it happens, and if this does it, he knows how many times we need it. He says, and furthermore, put now thine hand in thy bosom, and he put his hands in his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous as snow. Now this is a little bit more personal to him. This is his hand, and he knew what a, he knew what a leper was had a disease on it. I said, how in the world is this going to happen? What am I going to do with this? And he said, put thine hand into thy bosom again. And he put his hand into his bosom again and plucked it out of his bosom. And behold, it was turned again as his other flesh. Now he's trying to convince him again. Shall come to pass if they will not believe thee, neither hearken to thy voice. The first sign that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. So he gives him two. But wait a second, he doesn't stop at two. He gives him a third thing. Read the next verse. And it shall come to pass that they will not believe unto these two signs, neither hearken unto thy voice. And thou shalt take the water of the river and pour it upon the dry land. And the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. When is this going to stop? He knows, who, he knows about Moses' character. He knows what Moses needs to hear. And yet he does this, he says, okay, he turns the rod into a serpent. He turns his hand and lepers, turns it back. Then he says, listen, you take the water, it'll turn to blood. God knows all these things. But then all of a sudden, Moses sees all these things. Now, see, now, now let's think about, let's talk about this. What has Moses seen so far? Up to this point. He has seen a bush on fire not burning. He has talked to God. He has seen a rod turn into a snake. He has seen his hand turn into leprosy, turn back into his hand. And he has seen water turn into blood. What's it take for us to have faith in God? And so he sees all these things and you think, okay, I'm ready to go. Let's go, let's do this. It's not what Moses does. Now remember, verses 29 through 31, everything's going great. Aaron's talking for him, all this stuff's going on. And so he, he does what we do. He evaluates everything. He says, okay, I've seen all that, but there's a problem, Lord, and here's his problem. What's his problem? What's he tell the Lord now? I, 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 I can't speak. Well, he's been speaking to God pretty good. But it says in verse number 10, verse number... Um, 10, it says, And Moses said unto the Lord, O oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither hitheretofore, nor since thou hast spoken unto my, thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. Can God use someone that has a bad speech impediment? Absolutely. God can use anybody. But he says, listen, you're asking me to speak to these, and let's go back to this, let's ask the obvious question. Did God know what he was before, before he chose him? Absolutely he knew what he was. What he was. Did God know that he was going to carry that, that, the, the rod? Absolutely he knew that. Keep reading and it says, Now therefore, he says, And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Question mark. What's he want Moses to say? Well, God, you did. You can do this. And then it says this, And who hath made man's mouth? 
or who maketh the dumb or deaf, or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go. If you write anything in your Bible, in my Bible I've got those things written down. Now therefore go. Quit making excuses and go ahead and do whatever God wants you to do. Amen? Everybody's still awake. God says, listen, now therefore go, and I will be thy, with thy mouth, and teach these who, who thou shalt say. Now watch this, in verse number 13, and he said, O my Lord, send I pray thee by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. <laughs> he just keeps going with this thing. And then it goes into the next verse, and it says this. I don't know about you, but verse number 14 scares me. Look how it starts. It says, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. I don't want God's anger on my life. You know why? Because he's done all these different things. There's, you tell me somebody else that up to this point and God's asking him to do something. And I know God's asking him to do a big thing. And he's probably reevaluating this in his mind as he goes, but he said, listen, this God that's speaking to you will take care of it. But it says he's angered and he says, and he said, is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? Levitical tribe Aaron. He, he, and Levites were what? They were speakers. See, God had this plan way back when with Levite, with, with Aaron the Levite. He knows what he's doing. Sometimes we don't know what we're doing, but he knows what he's doing. And verse number 10, and keep, keep reading, it says, I know that he can speak well, and also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee. And when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. And thou shalt speak unto him, and put words in his mouth, and I will be with thy mouth, and with his mouth, and will teach you what ye shall do. And ye shall be the spokesman unto the people, and ye shall be, even he shall be to thee instead of thy mouth, and thou shalt be to him instead of God. And thou shalt take this rod in thine hand, wherewith thou shalt do signs. Isn't it interesting that God just takes care of everything? Sometimes we try to figure things out in our life. It says in verse number 14, he cannot speak, but God already had a plan. That plan was Aaron. Even through all the aspects of your life, you don't know what's going on. How am I going to handle this? What's going to happen? God already has a plan. I believe that and I hope you believe it. God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for the United States. God has a plan for Tennessee. God has a plan for Kingsport. God has a plan for you. God has a plan for this church. We've got to believe that. You say, well, how did you get to this part? How, do you, how did you get where you're at? And Do you have any issues in your life you have to let God get a hold of? Yes, absolutely. Everybody in here has to change some things. But we've got to realize that God has a plan no matter what. We just need to walk through that plan. You know, sometimes man has ideas in their mind and they really don't know how to work that plan. Go off the cuff or they just try to figure out themselves. If you've ever talked to anybody that's a businessman, sometimes they don't know how they got from point A to point C. They had to go through B somewhere, but they didn't know how they got there. I'll tell you a story in my life that will really illustrate this whole thing. When I was at my last ministry, remember Sandy Hooks that happened? Shooting up at Sandy Hooks. I went and got, got some of the men in our church that were security, and I talked to some of them. I asked them, what do I need to do to get where I can carry a firearm in our school? It's amazing how many people don't really know what they're saying, but they're going to just tell you things anyway. So, well, if you got a concealed permit, you could do it. Well, I got a concealed, I already had a concealed permit. I knew I couldn't do it. There's actually more restrictions on, on private schools than there are um, state schools. 
And I was like, that won't happen. They, can't, they won't let me do that. Then one guy in the meeting said, and he was a police officer, he said, you know what you need to do? You need to be in the sheriff's department. I was like, okay, I'll be in the sheriff's department. I'll, I'll do that. And I, so I went and talked to the sheriff, and he said, well, I can't have you as an officer unless you've went through BLET. And I was like, what's BLET? I didn't know what those letters were. That's basic law enforcement training, what, we, what you would call police academy. And so I said, okay, what's, what, what does that curtail? That seems like something I could do. That was the hardest thing I've ever done, physically wise. From, from August to December, I took a whole semester into college. While I pastored a church and while I was a principal of school. I was so green with this, I had no idea what any of this stuff meant. I got in there and for the first two weeks, I, I think I've shared this with some of the police officers in here, this guy kept getting up and saying that the, the, the Leo, or it was, you have to do this, you have to do this, the Leo has to do this, and I thought, what in the world is a Leo? I said, my dad's middle name's Leo, but I don't know of anybody else that's a Leo. And they kept saying the L-E-O, the Leo, the Leo, the Leo. And they kept doing that. And I was like, I have no idea. I was in an element that I didn't understand anything. I didn't even think to Google search it. If I knew Daniel, I'd have called him and he'd have Google search it for me and told me. You know what Leo stands for? Law Enforcement Officer. And the whole time I'm thinking, who's this Leo guy they're talking about? I had to take, I think, 26 tests. I could only miss three, and I could retake them. I didn't fail any of the tests, but I studied like crazy. I had done more push-ups and sit-ups in, in, in that four-month period. They said, you need to train and get ready. I thought, man, I played college basketball 25 years ago. I can do this. After about the first two days, I realized I could not do that. I was tear-gassed. I had to run. They timed me. I had to do push-ups. I had to do sit-ups. I had to ground fight with people. They called this one guy when we got in there. He said, he's the spider. And I was like, what? Is I looked at him and I thought, man, I weigh a good 40 pounds more than him. I'm going to lean into him. I figured out real quick why he was called the spider. He was all legs and arms and he wrapped me up real quick and threw me to the ground. Most of the guys we fought, we had to fight for two minutes. I don't know if you even think, realize how long two minutes is. And I had to go through eight guys to get this done. And I was thinking, oh my word, the last guy I got down to it, I was like, okay, I've got about, 30 se or about 20 seconds. If I just back off of him, everything's going to be okay. He saw me look at the clock. And I could almost see in his mind like, uh-uh, you didn't just do that. And I was, I was like trying to stay awake on him and stuff. He grabbed me, flipped me in the air. I weighed 200, 230 pounds, grabbed me, flipped me in the air. While I'm in the air, he took my gun out, threw it, slammed me on the ground and said, Wagner, quit looking at the clock. When you ground fight, there's no clock. Yes, sir, the clock went off and said, thank God for the clock. <laughs> we had something called the Red Man. Look it up sometime. Go fighting the Red Man and see what that is. They build this thing all up and they, this guy comes out and he's in this full ninja outfit. He's red. And I made the mistake of hitting him where I'm not supposed to hit him and I hit him there and I whacked him with a, with a club and he got mad, roundhouse me and kicked me and knocked me to the ground. I remember going through all these things thinking, what in the world is I going to I remember graduation. We, got, we graduated, and then they said, oh, by the way, you have to take a state test, 300 questions. You have three hours to take that test. If you fail it, you do not become a police officer. We started with 22 people. At the very end of that, we ended up with six people that graduated. 
I remember going through graduation, I remember taking that test wondering, I hope I pass that test. I went in there when I took that test, there were state patrol officers beside me, there were sheriff's department, there was police departments, and they all had to take the same, same test. I got done with that test, I got done, and I said, okay, now I can do what, I, what these people said, and I went to, the, went to the sheriff's department and said, listen, I want to be, be carrying a firearm in, in the school, can I do that? He said, no. I was like, I asked him again. He said, no. He said, you have to be an active sheriff department to be doing that. I was like, what is that curtail? I had been choked out with my own hands. I had been hit with things and, and ran over things and scared to death with certain things and drove cars and got to shoot the gun, got to do all this other stuff, know how to write a ticket. I went through all these things, and they, and they said, if I did this, I could go to the next level. And so I asked the guy, I said, why can't I do this? He said, well, you've got to be an active reservist. I said, well, how do I do that? He said, well, it's very difficult to do that. And I thought to myself, why didn't someone back there tell me that? And the only good thing is, is that I, I understand a little bit what police officers go through police academy. I don't understand what they go through in a real, real situation. I understand what it means to lose some weight. I understand what it means to do a push-up and a sit-up. I thought, why didn't someone tell me that? I said, okay, so what do I got to do? And he told me. I said, I said okay, I'm going to try that. And so I in, be, became an inactive um, sheriff's department. Got sworn in and everything. I, got, I, I would talk to the police officers, and they said, well, you got to do this. And I had to, I, it seemed like every time I jumped through a hoop, there was another hoop behind it. I spent four months of my life getting this all done. And really, what I was doing it for was a good reason. I wanted to pr protect the kids if the kids came in here. The only good thing I saw out of the whole thing is I met sheriff's office and, and, and police officers that I could bring them into our, our ministry and I could show them and they would come in and they would teach, our, teach our, our teachers what to do. There were some things you could do and there were some things we went around. Uh, we followed all the law, but there were certain things that North Carolina had changed at that time. But you know what, if I would have thought this through, I, I, I should have went to the first thing and said, what do I have to do to the guy that really knew and ask him? Isn't our life sometimes like that? Oh, you can do this, you can do that, you can do that, and you do it and do it and do it and do it, and guess what? It means nothing. I mean, there was times when I'd get up and go, oh my, we're going to do this, and I'd be scared to death. The only thing they said I excelled in was interrogation. And they said, what do you do? I said, I'm a high school principal. They said, okay, that's why you're an interrogator. You know, I look at some of these things in my life that I went through, and if I would have just listened to God and, and followed what God told me to do, I wouldn't have had to go through every hoop, every hoop, every hoop, every Because you know what? Sometimes we don't listen. And sometimes we listen to man, and man doesn't know. You ever met somebody, they tell you, you've got to do this, and this is how you do it? I was growing up, I didn't know anything about shotguns. Went hunting with three or four people and they said, you stay over there, Wagner, and we'll tell you what you can shoot at. I was like, okay. My shotgun jammed. And so I handed it to my brother. It was the only, only time my brother took me out hunting, I don't know why. But um, he, and he handed me his gun. I asked him, I said, is this gun loaded? Is this gun loaded? I know now never to do that. We're sitting around in a circle. There's mud between us. And they're trying to fix my gun. And I said, is this gun loaded? I pointed at the dirt, pulled the trigger. It was loaded. 
12 gauge, hit that, hit that dirt, splash dirt up on them, and they thought they had all been shot. I guarantee I got their attention after that one. You ever done something you shouldn't have done? I was never around guns growing up. But now someone tells me I have to go through BLET just to carry a firearm. I'm good with the firearm now. But as I look, I think sometimes we just ask people that don't really know the answer. You know what we have? We have a God that has a plan. And God knows exactly what we need to do. Every step of the way. Don't get confused with this. Read the Bible, find out what the plan is for your life and do it. I don't want to be like Moses. I don't want to have to say, I have to have A through D or A through E settled before I'll do what God wants me to do. When God has a plan for you, the best thing you can do is just go through that plan. I don't know what the plan is for you. See, every plan is different, just like we talked about this morning. Five, two, and one. Some of us gave, he gave five talents to one, two to another, one to another one. We're all different. But that does not mean that God tries to hold God's plan away from you and say, okay, just guess what it is. That's not how God works. Read His Word. Pray about it. And when He speaks to you, follow what He tells you. Verse number 29. We catch up with Moses. He's done all these things. He's had all these things happen to him. He says, listen, the, the serpent, he has had his hand changed. He has had it changed back. He has had the blood he's talking about. And then he says, listen, I can't speak. He says, Aaron can speak to you. Aaron can speak for you. I've got this set up. He is your brother. He's a Levite. He'll take care of you. You know, one of the things I think is interesting, and we'll end it with this. God already had a plan for him, because go, go to verse number um, 20, 27, and it says this, And the Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. And he went and met him in the, mount of, in the mount of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded them. I think it's very interesting that God tells Moses that Aaron's going to come, but then he sends Aaron and fulfills what he said, and he doesn't go, it, it, it's not Moses going to Aaron, it's Aaron going to Moses. Where God is just reassuring a man by the name of Moses Everything is going to be okay. And I think God is somewhat like that in our life. I think once we've arrived where we need to arrive, God will calm us down. There's, no wrong, there's nothing wrong with having doubt and questioning God as long as you still do what God wants you to do. You know, I, I think of missions giving. We're having missions emphasis. If God tells you to do something, you better do it. If God has a plan for your life, you better do it. We have a missionary back there for 17 years. That's a long time to be on a mission field. Most people don't make it that long. But we've got to get back to understanding that God has a plan. He already had a plan in place. and He just wants us to walk through that plan. What your plan and my plan are might be totally two different things. But it doesn't change the fact that God has something for you to do and we need to do it. We can make excuse after excuse after, after excuse like the, the man with the one made an excuse and the man that Moses made an excuse. But as we look at the story of Moses, although he made an excuse, what did he do? He still fulfilled the plan. So when you go through this week and go, I just don't know if I can get, this, get through this. You can get through it with God as your help.